Hey everyone, it's Amy Lynn Durham and you're listening to Create Magic at Work. Create Magic at Work is on a mission to equip senior leaders with tools they need to be a true servant leader and actually understand what that means. Improve employee engagement, retain top talent, and transform your workplace culture to have less stress and drama. So let's start making magic. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Create Magic at Work. I'm so excited for our guest here today. His name is Bo Bravo. I met Bo actually when I was a guest on his podcast, The Bo and Luke Show, and we have become, I guess, friends ever since in the workplace space through LinkedIn and also partnering on some projects. A little bit about Bo. Throughout his career, Bo has always focused on the people helping them tackle their issues as if they were his own. Since retiring from the U.S. Army as the chief of HR operations with the White House Communications Agency and presidential communications officer for both Presidents Bush and Obama, Bo has served in several executive positions and as the founder of Hale Media Group and the Bravo Center of Excellence, providing fully accredited continuing education for HR professionals around the globe. Bo's mission through the center is to build leadership and business acumen in human resources professionals, giving them the abilities to help solve for today's most challenging business issues. Students develop a leadership mindset, boost their performance, build and lead high-performing teams, get crystal clear on their HR goals, plans, and actions, and set up their careers for long-term success and satisfaction. The center's programs are offered on their e-learning platform via live webinars as well as customized corporate training events. Bo received his MBA from the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. He's a professional speaker and author of the book, From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, Leading Organizations to Values-Based Results, an Amazon Top 100 Hot New Release in Business Leadership. Yay. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> Bo's the co-host of the Bo and Luke. Yeah, he's the co-host of the Bo and Luke Show. A top 2.5% global podcast, which I mentioned before, that's how we met. And it inspires listeners to be, know, and do better every day. Bo also holds current SPHR and PMP professional certifications. Bo, welcome to Create Magic at Work. <laughs> Hi, Amy. I am so happy to be here. I'm so I am so excited because, you know, like you said, you were a guest on our podcast. And really to, to watch you and to know get to know you over the past year or so and then to see you launch your own podcast is it's awesome i love it thank you yeah i've received really good uh response from everyone listening so have you yeah and it's been great and i think that just the candidness and the humor that's coming mm -hmm. across <laughs> in the yeah. show too has been has yeah, been helpful it's important I'm excited to have you here, and I want to talk a little bit about your book, actually. There were a couple of things I just want to start right off um, that struck me, because you are all about values-based leadership. So what I wanted to start off is just, I want you to explain what that means to you. Sure. What does values-based leadership mean to you? Yeah, so values-based leadership, to me, means... It's really as leaders, I think it comes down to the to the crux of what we do every day. So, and I'll explain that in values. Values are the behaviors that we put on display, right? So when we think about a typical company, you have a mission, you have vision, and you have corporate values. So mission is what you're doing every day. 
vision is really where you want to take the company or where the leaders think the company should go. And values is going to be how you get there. So it's the action, it's the behaviors, it's everything that everybody, not just one, but everybody does. So when we say values-based leadership, you really put yourself on display with your people every single day. And if you if you didn't have a set of corporate values, or even if you do have a set of corporate values, you know, people are watching you and, and you kind of have to determine, am I behaving in accordance with those values or are my behaviors defining the values and are those different than what I have up on the corporate wall or on the corporate website? So I define values. It's the action behind what you do every day. So when we say values-based leadership, when you show up as a leader, you have leadership responsibilities. However it is that you behave, you got to have your values behind that. And then, then what do you do? You need to spread that across your organization and you need to ensure that people are behaving in accordance with the values of the organization. So I guess in a nutshell, it's just all about your personal behavior, how it is that you actually show up as a leader and the things that you do, that you actually do. Yeah. Not what you talk about, not what you aspire to, but what you actually do. Right. Yeah. So in SQ, and you've taken the SQ assessment. Uh-huh. I have. In SQ, we talk about awareness of your values mm-hmm. and your values hierarchy and stack ranking those values. And that's exactly what you're talking about is, are my behaviors in alignment with who I say I am on this piece of paper? And that is where you find peace within your life. You find that you're living in alignment and you find that you're living maybe I'll even say a happier life. Yeah. So if you take that out to a company, that's what you want to look for as an employee, right? Yeah. Are people within this company behaving with who they say they really are? Right. And I like how you're so passionate about this because this is what brings connection and authenticity to the workplace. Right. And I want to ask you a little bit about your military background Mm -hmm. because I noted, I highlighted a section in your book that I wanted you to sort of expand on. Okay. And it talked about mental toughness and the mind's ability to overcome fear, stress, anxiety, fatigue, perform critical thought, make tough decisions in times of distress or real crisis. And that was sort of how you defined mental toughness. And you also talked about mental toughness is a part of having personal courage, Mm -hmm. which is one of the army's core values. What I'm curious about is how do you think that fits into the workplace? Or do you feel like that was a healthy system where it was promoting mental toughness? I'm not judging either way. I just kind of want to hear what your thoughts are on it. No, that's a fantastic question. And I think that, um, I think that mental toughness, I love the word mental fitness, uh, mental strength all goes into the whole umbrella of mental health. And it drives, to me, it drives everything. You can't be physically tough if you're not mentally tough because you got to be able to push your body past certain limits or you're just going to want to quit or stop. And it's your mental strength, your mental toughness that gets you past that. And I think through experience and building resiliency, and for me, I do think that it fits in the corporate world. I'll just give an example. For me, it was really easy for me to make a choice or make a decision to say, I'm going to do something. I decided, you know what? I have an opportunity to jump out of airplanes. It's really easy to say, yeah, sure, I'll go do that. All right. But then the day is going to come and you're going to actually have to go do that, right? Because you said you were going to do it. And um, so I would make the decision 
And then I would say, okay, now I have to go. So in building up in that time frame of getting, I would, you know, I had a leader uh, while I was in the army and I loved it because he had a saying is get your mind right. And it really was all about taking the time, whether that's through your faith, prayer, whatever it is for you to actually get in a, in, in a headspace where really, you know, that, and for me, you know, that, um, as much safety as possible is going to be put into the endeavor, right? So from a risk perspective, it's going to be safe. I've chosen an area to be with people that I trust, which goes back to, you know, even bringing values into the discussion. Um, so I trust the people that I'm around, even though I don't know them, but I know they're experts in what they're doing. And I, I have a built-in level of trust for that. So that's all helping my mental strength, if you will, to convince myself or to put myself in a situation that I have to go through it and do it. And the stronger I am mentally, the better off I'll be and perform physically. So I think that went a long ways in the army. And then I also always had this thing. Honestly, I don't know if I came up with it or if someone told me when I was young. So I joined the army when I was uh, 17 as a junior in high school. So I had been, I did it for a long time that you can't stop the clock. So anytime, anytime you're in a scenario or a situation and you're like, man, you know, I just wish this would end right? Or this tough time would end. Well, realize that it's going to, right? Because if there's one thing you just, you truly have no control over, it's the clock. Time's going to tick by, it's going to keep going. And this situation, as they always do, you'll get through it and you'll be on to the next thing, uh, whatever the case might be. That's why we have to celebrate the good times uh, when the times are really good, because those are going to end too. And then you're going to have challenges and it's just a roller coaster. You just keep going. But I think even in the in the corporate world, it's a level of um, when you, when you add the values into it, there is a level of likeness to the military when you can build your mental toughness through the aspect of trusting others, doing risk assessments, knowing that the situation is going to be safe, doing your research to ensure that you align with the company and what you're doing, and that you believe in the company and the people that you work with, uh, and so forth. And through all of that, when you're doing those types of things especially when you're doing your own diligence, you build that mental mindset that you need to make you stronger as a whole person. Yeah. So to me, any of that makes sense? It does. The reason why I asked you that question was because when I read that part of your book about mental toughness, and then you expanded on it where you talk about the mind's ability to overcome fear, stress, anxiety, fatigue, I started thinking, wow, is that similar to spiritual intelligence SQ? which is what Create Magic at Work mm -hmm. is all about, where we put our ego aside, mm -hmm. possibly, and operate from our higher self, from that place within us that has wisdom and compassion. Yeah. And what you're talking about, to me, to echo back, is systems that create safety. So people can operate from their higher self. And then the time thing, I just have to share, I kept thinking, this too shall pass. Yeah, it's a great mantra to use if you're going through difficult times. But, you know, one of the definitions of spiritual intelligence, there's a few is the ability to maintain inner and outer peace and make decisions with wisdom and compassion, regardless of the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. So just in knowing you and in the conversations we've had, mental toughness sounds like a very masculine word for the army or to, to describe <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it but it, yeah. but really, I almost feel like I'm taking it away as like, 
accessing your higher self. Yeah. And I was really shocked and impressed because I'm not, I don't know too much about the military lifestyle personally, but Mm. when we were having conversations, I was very impressed at the level of collaboration because you feel like it's all of these rankings and taking orders. And I think bringing that, just expand on that. Like, how did you bring the collaboration piece and what were some of those to the corporate world that you got from the army? Yeah, I think that's a very um, common way for people outside the military to think, right? It's a very Mm. hierarchical system and orders are given and you just follow orders. Well, it's what's in all the movies. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But then when you're given, you know, to the what was one of the most uh, exhilarating times of my career when I was at the White House and I had as an additional duty as a presidential communications officer for both President Bush and President Obama. I'll give you an example. Our organization, so the White House Military Office has multiple departments. Communications was one of them, and that's where I was part of. And then in the White House Communications Agency, thinking, you know, every time you hear the president speak, that audio that you're hearing is coming from that organization. Um, the podium is built by that organization, every podium. And so forth. And then any emergency actions from a commander in chief perspective are all part of that organization. So we, everywhere the president was, our teams were, period. White House, overseas, anywhere in the country, you name it, we were with them. And um, that organization has a head of the organization. And it was an army colonel. So think CEO, right? But the CEO, the colonel, was considered a command representative. And there were six of them, not just the, the head person. I think it was six. They would be the ones that would take turns actually flying on Air Force One, right? But when the plane landed, there's already a team. Like I would have my team wherever the president was going, and we'd be handling all the events and the communication aspects on the ground where the president was going. So it's for the president, the Secret Service, the White House staff to make sure everybody can talk via their headsets. You see them all speaking in their little microphones and their, you know, that all that communication capability was provided by us. And obviously the commander slash CEO could not be everywhere all the time. It's physically impossible, right? Yes, the commander would give an order and say, you know, whatever, Bo, you're leading this trip. The president's going here. These are all the things that have to be put in place. So you have your systems, right? You have all your systems and have all the different things that have to get set up and ready and be prepared for when the president arrives to speak or whatever he's doing because there's no rehearsal. It's just go time as soon as, as he arrives. And then that's where the order stops, right? But you you may, you're not, you haven't even left Washington, D.C. yet, right? So how do you get your team where they need to go? Well, the commander's not in charge. The commander's not doing all of that. You're doing that as the leader of your team, right? And then I had about six different disciplines of people doing different types of communication capabilities, IT, audiovisual, radio technology, sat- satellite communications, all these different areas. And there were leaders of those, and they all reported to me for this trip or this event. And that's where collaboration comes in because everybody's got their things, their systems. They know what they have to do and have to set up. But then you got to make all that come together and work with precision and with zero defect because it's the president of the United States. And it just has to happen. Well, that's where the, the leadership and the values, and I have to trust these people, and I know they're loyal, and they have a sense of duty, and they will show respect to everybody that they deal with. And that's how we all behave. And, you know, you collaborate at the end of the day with making sure, you know, what's what are your challenges today? What do we have to overcome? Where do you need me as the leader to step in if need be? Kind of just all comes together. But you you have this responsibility just as if you were leading a department or an operations, if you were a COO inside of a company, right? You have to be able to lead in those environments. 
your orders were written on a piece of paper, so to speak, and this is what you have to go do and you have to go accomplish, but there's a lot of detail that's not in those orders. You still have to do it. It's no different than a combatant commander or ground troops, you know, running a ground operation in a war zone. Yeah, yeah, you have to go do X and you want to accomplish, this is what you're out to accomplish, but then everything on the ground starts to hit you, right? And you have to be able to execute and so forth. And I think that's the same in corporate world. You want to launch a product, you want to launch a service, you have an idea what that all should be. The CEO makes a decision. This is the sector we're going after. This is the product that we're going to launch. And then you have to have a team that can actually go do that. They're going to run into challenges. They have to be empowered to to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that- Does that help? Totally. And you're just, my brain is like, because you're talking about we talked about safety, right? You talked about trusting yeah. the people in the room. You used sort of a, the skydiving example back then. But also you trusting the decisions that your team's going to make on the fly and collaborating with all these movements that you had to make. So that's leadership. Yeah. That's next level leadership. That is not something you can learn from a manual. These are the skills that we talk, no. you and I talk about all the time, the EQ, the emotional intelligence, the spiritual intelligence, and I do want you to expand on on one thing that you mentioned was, you know, for the management leaders that listen to this show, the check-ins at the end of the day. One of the skills in SQ is being a wise and effective change agent. And one of the characteristics of being a wise and effective change agent is not just running for a quick fix in a situation, mm-hmm. but actually taking the time to uncover the real root cause of a problem in order to solve it. And so I love when you share this leadership tip of this end of the day check-in that you did when you worked for the White House. So can you just share what you did for the leaders that are listening? Absolutely. There's so many things uh, happening right throughout the day, things that have to happen, have to get accomplished. And I think that's the same in any, any job, right? There's things that you want your people to get done during the day. And then as the leader, at the end of the day, we would come together, right? And in this scenario, it wasn't just us. It was, it was, you had basically, I would say three, just keep it at three components. You had us on the communication side, secret service for the security side of the event. And then you had the White House staff who basically was the overseer of the whole event. They knew, they knew why they were there, what, you know, the organization, what we're going to talk about, why we're having this event in the first place. But those entities come together at the end of the day, and then um, you're basically doing a, a status check of where you're at, what's happening. And of course, before going to that, we would have, or I would have the same type of little huddle or get together with the leaders on that were running the disciplines on my team, um, so that I was absolutely 100% current on what I would be talking about in this in this huddle with all the all the three components to make sure that we were ready to go. And then in those, the most important part in those meetings, it really wasn't talking, it was listening, right? So when I'm meeting with my team and they're telling me what they've accomplished, they're telling me any impacts they have to their day or what other people or outside external forces might be having on them and getting their job done or any impediments. It's really about me listening, active listening to ensure that I can then discern what needs to be done, what actions need to take place immediate, the next day, two days from now, whatever whatever the case might be, so that when we get to the point when we do have to execute, when the president arrives, we're ready. So it's really about active listening. And then where I experienced that the, the most, Amy, outside of the military, 
was in the IT world, software companies that, um, and before that, I never knew that it existed, but I thought it was very similar to what we would, what we were doing in the military. And they called it the scrum, like the daily scrum. Scrum is not an acronym, it's just a word. And all it meant was we would come together every morning, right? And then in that scenario, we did it in the morning, not the evening, but every single person on the team had to speak. And it's, and, and that, this didn't last more than 15, 20 minutes. It's like, give me the, you know, the three priorities you're doing today, any impacts or impediments to you getting those done, right? Where are we going in the next, like, quick on what's the next two weeks or 30 days, whatever the case might be. And what I loved about it is that everybody on the team is listening. And then if you and I were working on something and at some point we had to integrate those items or work together, we're, we're, we're hearing where each other is at in a very non-confrontational, it's just hey, we need to know where are we, what are we doing? And if you were having a problem, then someone could step in and help solve that problem. You may need collaboration with somebody, but we don't need everybody to talk about it for two hours in a meeting, right? Things could be taken offline, but it kept everybody aware of where things were at. And our leadership would listen in. All the company leadership, the CEO would listen in. And it really gave a level of trust and confidence on how projects were going, how services were being handled, and so forth. And I think it really empowered people. They felt important. Like I have a say, even if I'm a junior developer and I'm part of this meet, I have a say because I don't have the authority to say I don't have anything to say. It's no, you're working on stuff today. What are you working on? I want to hear it from you, not your boss type of thing. Right. So it really created an open environment of communication uh, and worked out really, really well. So you, you got to talk. I guess that's the whole thing, really. In, in a nutshell, you got to communicate. You have to talk put the mechanisms in place to actually make that happen. Hi, everyone. Amy here. Are you looking to create a life with more inner and outer peace regardless of the situation? Gain unexpected insights into your leadership strengths by taking the SQ21 assessment. Expand your understanding of leadership skills like being a wise and effective change agent, servant leadership, and get tips to operate from a place of peace and wisdom from within. The SQ21 assessment, a faith-neutral instrument, allows you to examine where you are today on developing and sustaining the 21 skills of spiritual intelligence. I'm a certified SQ21 coach, and I offer a one-time, one-on-one experience with the SQ21 assessment that helps you have less stress, more balance, and bring more value and meaning to your work and your life. Go to createmagicatwork.net and click work with me to get started on your transformational journey. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me on LinkedIn under Amy Lynn Durham and send me a direct message and we can get you started that way as well. Sending magic to everyone. Yeah. And knowing you're heard from those top leaders with Mm -hmm. the listening, like knowing that, I think there's a story in your book where you talk about in one of your prior jobs, you caught a CEO listening in at a door in the hallway rather than actually being present in the meeting. And you had a conversation like, Hey, like, you know, why don't you be more authentic? I'm paraphrasing here, you know, but you know, and show up in the room. And I think the way that you're talking about this communicating on the phone and they know that the leader's there and they're being heard. I mean, the ripple effect with that is amazing compared to all of these secretive listening in because that gives the impression overall that you don't trust your people in the room whereas if you show up to listen you know it's that much more of the connection that you feel that your your leaders are there for you 
I have to ask this because I just, I'm so curious Mm. when you described and you can use any part of your experience that you want, but when you described the logistics and what you had to go through for the president to speak and Mm -hmm. the pressure, you know, if correct me, if I'm restating this wrong, but the pressure to make sure that everything went smoothly, what came to my mind was right away, quantum leadership, right? Companies Mm -hmm. that innovate, that live on the edge of chaos, or where they can see innovation come from mistakes. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. and if not, that's fine. But I'm wondering if there ever was a mistake that was made. And if there Mm -hmm. was something amazing that maybe came out of the chaos or, Uh, you know, or something like that. (laughs) I'll give you a couple stories of mistakes. Mistakes happen. You know, we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, It's just that those... We called it, even from the command level down, so the highest leadership down, that particular assignment was operating, we called it a zero defect environment. Because the smallest of them, the smallest, and I'll give you two of them, which are really small mistakes, but they could have big, big implications when you think about who this is impacting either the president himself or the office of the president and what that imagery could actually do to the office of the presidency when it's public. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a public example and I'll give you a private example. Okay. Uh, so when a president is speaking and um, this has actually happened a couple times and then trust me, heads roll when it happens. Like it seems small and, it, and it's so obvious that it can happen, but it does drive technological change or just equipment change and so forth. So when the president's speaking, if they're using a teleprompter, right? So if you see the president and they look you know, like 45 degrees one way, 45 degrees the other way, and occasionally in the middle. But they're just rotating back and forth between the teleprompter on the left and the teleprompter on the right. It's the same teleprompter speech is scrolling through. That is on a steel pole on a stand, like a microphone type of stand. And at the top, it has a single clear piece of glass. And that piece of glass is held together at the bottom near the base of the the base of the glass. So it's sitting on a 45 degree angle, if you will. And it's not like a light piece of plastic. It's, it's a thick piece of glass, but it's only connected at the bottom at the, at the pole. And you know, it's a screw, a lug nut, and it's got to be tight to hold it. And during live speeches, those pieces of glass have fallen and shattered, you know, fallen to the floor. There's a chuckle Right. Maybe people in the crowd or the president makes the president even makes a comment like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, what's going on there? Right. Or something like that. So what that drives is it's like my organization who's responsible, White House Communications, responsible for that piece of equipment. There's a service member scrolling the speech, running the teleprompter. And, you know, that's it's almost like a big inquisition. Like, why did that happen? Right. Murphy's law can set in and if and it happens. Right. But it drives the further checks and balances put in, like you talked earlier, systems are so important, right? So when you start investigating the incident, when, when you talk about change, how many times should that be checked before you say, okay, it's not going to happen, right? Did it only get checked one time or twice? Or was there something wrong with the actual device that connected it to the pole, right? Who checked that? How, you know, it, it really sets off this whole thing. And then, if we find that, you know, you did all the checks and balances, then it comes in, okay, what do we have to change? Because we can't let this happen, right? Is it finding a new supplier, a new vendor, because that piece of equipment isn't going to cut it? It, it? You know, this kind of stuff cannot happen. It's embarrassing. 
to the office of the president, right? Who's running his teleprompter? I mean, you hear news outlets, all the mainstream media be like, man, but that guy's, you know, getting fired or he's toast or something like that, right? For letting that happen, even though he could have done everything right. So little things can set off big sequence of events that aren't so pleasant to deal with on the back end. And then, you know, the other one, it happened to a guy on my team, I was in Utah with President Bush, and we were staying in this ski lodge overnight. And in the president's suite, you got a secure phone for him. And there are speed dials on the phone, and every speed dial gets programmed to a certain office. The first lady, the president's secretary, his aide, his military aide. So the president doesn't have to try and sit there and, okay, well, you know, what's the phone number here? And let me dial all, you know, nine digits or ten digits. Mm-hmm. It's labeled, here's the speed dial. And it was one of those things where two numbers were switched and the president actually made a phone call to that speed dial, was supposed to get, um, I think this one was supposed to get his personal secretary, and it just went to someone in the U.S. who answered the phone. So here you get the president <laughs> on the other end saying, you know, is this, all? no, this is, you know, you got the wrong, wrong number from the president of the United States type of thing. That's like the ultimate prank. <laughs> yeah, because they probably didn't believe it on yeah. the other end, right? So in, in that scenario... You know, the president's not mad. He didn't get upset. Okay, you know, that happens type of thing. But it definitely got reported back down. Like, what happened? Hey, you know, this isn't right. It gets noted. The president tells his aide or his chief of staff, and then it just starts rolling back to our person on site who did it. And, um, yeah, it's just it's not fun to deal with. And then ultimately, this is a great part of leadership. The leader knows they made a mistake, right? And they don't wallow in it. They don't try to blame like in this certain, there was no blaming anybody else. He knew that it was his job to double to check that, make sure those numbers were right and they were wrong. Nobody felt worse about it than the leader themselves. They own up to their mistake, and then they start being part of the solution as to say, okay, there weren't enough eyes on the programming to make sure that we didn't have just one incorrect digit, right? So you you mentioned it earlier about systems. And in reality, you know, if you've you've got the mental toughness, but you're going into these scenarios, it's zero defect environment, you have to have the best systems you can possibly have to work through in order to ensure, give you the best probability for the right outcomes uh, that you're looking for. And when things don't go the right way, you have to have the integrity to say, okay, we got to relook at things. This is, you know, even if it was just a mistake by one person, it's like, why did the mistake happen? Could it happen again? And you're not putting blame or shame on that individual. It's using it as a teaching, a learning lesson, whatever the case might be for everybody. And then seeing, do you need to make any change, right? Did mm-hmm. we as a company set this person up for failure? Did You know, what was our part in it? Do we need to put new systems or need to adjust the systems that we're in? So you're, it's never a set it and forget it type of thing. You're constantly trying to improve the systems that you have put in place. Yeah, because that small detail is like, oh, could we innovate more? Could we make this flow better? This made us stop and take a look at something that we would have just flown through our day about kind of thing. So that's the change agent piece, right? And not freaking out when mistakes happen. Yeah. But like, oh, cool. This made us stop for a second because maybe we need to innovate a little bit more. Yeah. You know, yeah, for sure. I love framing it that way. Okay, so Bo, share with the listeners what your definition of servant leadership is. Oh, so servant leadership truly is knowing that when you, when you are in a leadership position, your team, the people you're responsible for, they're not there to serve you. And I really do mean the word serve. You're there to serve them. 
And it's the whole, uh, you know, other way to say it is, you know, you take care of your people, they will take care of you. Servant leadership is all about making sure that you're taking care of, you truly are taking care of and serving the team, the people that you are responsible for. And I mean that in a very genuine manner, right? It's up to the leader. If you're a servant leader, then you are providing everything that your team needs to be successful from physical equipment to inspiration, motivation. You know your team members the best that you can, who they are as a whole person, right? And you make decisions based upon that, not a, um, the best servant leaders don't make, you know, one size fits all decisions, you know, because what might work for Amy and to help Amy perform is going to be different than what helps Bo perform. Um, and I can serve the needs of both people or multiple people at the same time to make them know that they're cared for and that they're an important part of the team. And the other aspect of that is, Servant leaders stand up and take the heat regardless. If I'm in charge, then I'm responsible for everything, all of those mistakes that go wrong. And then when I get, when we get accolades from above or wherever they come from, right, then you make sure as the servant leader that those accolades are going to your team and the people that were responsible for the work. I love it. You're just reminding me of. So skill, I, I always refer to SQ on the show. So skill eight mm-hmm. is breadth of time perception. And it's, can you live the paradox of knowing that your life is both profoundly important and also a tiny mm. piece of the history of the universe? So the way that you describe that reminds me mm-hmm. of that, you know, giving other people credit, making decisions, knowing the ripple effect it's going to have not just for today, but maybe for generations to come Yeah, with the breadth of time perception, right? Yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, if I have time, I'll give you a quick story where that, you know, I think one of the the examples or experiences I had that that, uh, it just really came to life for me was a time when I was uh, living in Germany and, and running a big HR operation in Germany for our all their well service members, but we had like 16,000 service members and families all living overseas. So we had responsibility from an HR perspective for immigration, for visas, for all of this stuff for our family members, because you're a U.S. citizen coming in to live in a foreign country. And soldiers were not just automatically allowed to come to Germany with their families with them at the same time. There was a process Soldiers had one status, families needed another status. Sometimes that could all get done, depending on how much time you had. It could all get done before the soldier came to Germany, and then they were all, they were all together as a family unit. But more often than not, that wasn't the case. So the soldier arrives first, and then the family comes second at some point. It could be a couple weeks later. It could be a couple months later. And on my desk, I would have these packets uh, applications, if you will, for the family members in order to get all of their, to get their family with them. I was one of the last stops, but I was like the quality check to make sure that we had everything done properly and not just in accordance with U.S. rules, but with German rules that this was this whole, I'll just call it uh, for understanding immigration packet, if you will, could get people to Germany to meet up with their service member, their family member. And um, it was overwhelming. There was always a lot to do in that job. I had days when I was tired. I'm no different than anybody else. And you just want to, you know, pack it up and go home for the day. And I would always look at those packets and make sure that I never left the office until I had, there were no more of those packets on my desk because I'm like, you know, 
I'm here to serve these folks. And this is the ability that I have to make this stuff happen. And somebody out there is waiting for their family to be reunited. It's not about me. It's about them. They're not here to serve me in any way. I'm here to serve them and their needs and get those needs met because that makes for, it's the second, third, fourth order effects of that decision. That makes for a stronger family unit, right? They're all together. They're stronger as a, as a family. Then that makes the soldier stronger in work. He's, he or she is not worrying when they're at work about their family back in the United States. That makes the command stronger. It makes the army stronger. It just, I mean, there's all because this packet is on my desk and I have the ability to actually make that transaction happen. So that really came home for me. It's like, man, if that was mine, I would want somebody working hard on that to get that done from an individual perspective. But then you look at the bigger picture. And then one day I just happened to be in town shopping like on a weekend and a woman stopped me and she asked me my name and I told her who I was. And, uh, She's like, I thought so. And she started crying. And she's like, I just wanted to thank you for getting us over here, you know, making it a priority to bring us back together as a family. I didn't need that, right? I didn't need that type Mm -hmm. of recognition from her. But it was just a confirmation that servant leadership is really, and I really believe that's what the Army and all of the Army's leadership development, it truly is, leads you to a servant leadership style. Isn't that amazing that... It is. That is amazing that what you're saying, just for me to boil it down, is by connecting humans, bringing the families together, the ripple effect that you described that it created was so profound. Mm -hmm. And then the knowledge that you have as a leader to put yourself in those family shoes to maybe operate from their worldview, Mm -hmm. see what they see through their eyes, and understand the impact that it made. I mean, all the way, you took it all the way to the fact that it strengthened our army at the end of the day, but it also brought people together. It made people perform better at work. Same thing in the corporate landscape, right? You treat employees well, you operate as a servant leader. They go home to their friends, their family, the cashier at the grocery store, they treat all of those individuals much better as well. And then it ripples out into the world and we're living in a better place. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that story. It was it was super cool. I loved it. Yeah, you're welcome. So at the end of every Create Magic at Work episode, I pull one of my journal prompt cards. I know you're familiar with them. Yeah. And I pull a message for you and for the audience. And it gives you an affirmation and everyone listening. And then you get to answer a question on the fly. So here we go. This is for Bo and the listeners. You got expansion. And the the illustration is a door opening up for you to go out into the big wide world. Nice. The affirmation is, I am proud of my unique skills and I use them to open new doors for me. So Bo, question. What are some ways you can apply your unique skills in the workplace? Me personally? Yeah. Or just advice to listeners as well? Sure. Well, I love these cards. Every time we do this or we talk, (laughs) they're always so relevant. Because I have a door opening. I have a meeting in Baltimore next week from Friday. So it could be a door opening and and trying to expand. So I'm listening. And I'm listening and I'm paying attention to all that you share, Amy. Thank you. Yeah. I think when you think expansion and doors opening, it's very relevant even to one of the speaking topics I do about be the best at what you do. And having an open mind and a yes type of mindset, right? Yes, maybe more than no. Obviously, there are things for us that aren't meant for us, and we probably should avoid them. But ultimately, it seems to me, in my experience, the more we stay open 
with our mind about potential, the better off we even are to being able to analyze it. Is the door opening an opportunity for us and it's meant for us and is it good for us versus not? You'll be able to make those better decisions about expanding and going through the right doors if you have an open mind. So I think you take that to work with you every day, not just for yourself, but just in how you treat people and even the opportunities that you might be presenting to others on your team. Have an open mind, right? Stay open. Yeah. And that is what will create the expansion and the innovation and the inspiration. And, you know, the affirmation on this card is I'm proud of my unique skills and I use them to open new doors for me. But also as leaders, are you pinpointing unique skills in your team and exploiting them, for lack of a better, in a, in a positive way? Are you letting everyone take their mask off and be their authentic selves so you can see what their yeah. creativity is underneath? Yeah. I think that's really important. So Me too. expansion. I love that we got that message right now. Me too. Great stuff. I'm here for it. <laughs> so Bo, sure. tell everyone how they can get a hold of you, how they can connect with you. Sure. So LinkedIn, uh, Bo is my nickname. So it's Robert Bo Brabo on LinkedIn. You can go to robertbrabo.com. That's the main webpage. And from the webpage, you can find the podcast. You can find our e-learning uh, center. There's ways for you to contact me through the webpage. If you want a signed copy of the book, that's available on the website, or you can go to Amazon. Uh, and the book is available on Amazon there too, from the battlefield to the White House to the boardroom, leading organizations to values-based results. So I appreciate it, Amy. I really do appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I Hey, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with everyone. And I encourage everyone to go to your website and check it out because you actually offer quite a few tangible downloads or skills that people can use right right in the workplace to do strategic HR yep. movement when, when they're at work. I mean, yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, and we have some free courses on our on our e-learning platform as well with some great contributors. So go there, watch them, use what you can, yeah, and keep staying open and moving forward. Well, thank you so much, Bo. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Sending magic to everyone. You're welcome. Hey, everyone. It's Amy here. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Create Magic at Work. And please come back often and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Keep joining us for more exciting episodes where we help you transform workplace culture to systems that create less trauma and stress and have high productivity and profitability. You can get your own tools for the workplace at createmagicatwork.net. I have a new Create Magic at Work, the journal that just released, and it invites you to reflect about different themes for work in your career. Each section of the journal contains a topic, an affirmation, and two prompt questions to help you journal your thoughts. Topics are like inspiring others, mentorship, expansion, and productivity. So connect with me at createmagicatwork.net. Also connect with me on LinkedIn under Amy Lynn Durham. Sending magic to everyone and see you next time. Thank you.